We go through a lot of emotions in one workday. You feel like a success in the morning and a complete failure by the afternoon. That's why we created our Workplace Affirmation Deck, a 50-card deck to help you cope with every kind of day at the office. It's divided by five emotions. When you're feeling unstoppable, when you're craving change, when you're feeling uncertain, when you totally messed up, and when you just can't even. Prop one on your desk, tuck it in a notebook, or even pass one along to a friend who could use it. Get yours today at girlboss.com affirmations. That's girlboss.com affirmations. Hello, and welcome back to Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. My guest today is Vivian Tu, a financial expert and the founder of Your Rich BFF, a community of over 3 million money-motivated besties across the world. Through her podcast, Net Worth and Chill, her newsletter, Enriched, and her viral Instagram and TikTok accounts, Vivian shares no bullshit financial advice in a tangible, approachable way. She studied environmental studies and public policy with an emphasis in finance at the University of Chicago, one of the best schools for economics in the U.S. From there, she made her way to Wall Street as a trader with J.P. Morgan and BuzzFeed as a strategy sales partner making $600,000 a year. During the pandemic, Vivian decided to quit her full-time job to start Your Rich BFF because she noticed all of the questionable financial advice swirling around the internet. We chatted about how to make yourself indispensable in a male-dominated industry, her experience climbing Cringe Mountain, and whether or not she's been able to match her previous salary at BuzzFeed as an entrepreneur. Let's get into it. Vivian, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. I have been a huge fan of your content for a while. So when the team reached out and was like, hey, we're going to be meeting with Vivian. I was like, yes. Even doing my research, I do research before every conversation. I learned a phenomenal amount of information. Like I feel like a financial body right now. Awesome. No, I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm glad the content hopefully has been enjoyable. Oh, of course, of course. So I love to go backwards before we talk about the present. So I know that you went to the University of Chicago and studied environmental studies and public policy with an emphasis in finance. And you eventually grew to working on Wall Street as a trader with JP Morgan. And before all of that, I'm really curious about what young Vivian wanted to be when she grew up. I think on that day in kindergarten where they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wrote down like unicorn. So like not even like a real job. I grew up in a Chinese immigrant home. So, you know, the old trope of you get one of three choices, you get to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. But I don't think that was ever in the cards for me. I wanted to have this fast paced job. And I think that's a big reason why Wall Street eventually did appeal to me as I got older and closer to actual working age. But yeah, I was like a troublesome child. I was an only kid. So I had to entertain myself. That's so interesting. So I think that that explains the environmental studies and public policy. Sort of. I'll give you the real tea. So I went to the University of Chicago. It is the number one economics university in the entire world. And I thought, I am so smart. I'm going to take econ with all of these brilliant people. And I ended up getting a C plus in the first like 
econ like 200 class. And I was like, this is not voting well for the future. My jaws dropped, by the way. People can't see me, but I'm shocked by this. <laughs> for me, I was like, well, I want to have a good GPA because I want to get a good job. And I needed to reconsider because I don't think that major really would have worked out for me. So the more qualitative, less quantitative econ major at UChicago was the public policy major. And obviously that had an environmental spin on it. So how did you end up on Wall Street? Uh, I wish I could tell you, like, I had this plan from day one and I was checking things off my to-do list. No, junior year rolled around and I looked around and all of my friends were interviewing for jobs on Wall Street. And I said, this seems like a pretty good thing to do. Like, they seem to have it together. So sure, I'll interview too. And luckily for me, I did end up getting an internship, which eventually turned into a full-time position. And how long did you intern before it turned into a full-time position? So... Wall Street internships are really funny in that they're all 10 weeks long and you have 10 weeks to prove to your future team that you are the person to hire. And I started with two other boys, three of us on the team, and only I got hired for that desk. So it's quite competitive. Wow. And you know what's interesting is like, of course, we have in Canada and, and throughout the United States, typically three-month probationary policies, right? And 10 weeks is not enough time to prove yourself in any capacity at any role. It usually takes 10 weeks just to ramp up, let alone at a, as an intern. So just reflecting back, what do you think that you did differently to secure your spot with a full-time role there? I would say like soft skill work. So all of us were very, very book smart. We were all very good at what we were doing. We were in Excel. We were doing the labor itself. But I would make really strategic decisions to say, hey, I'm going to go waste 15 minutes and talk to the healthcare analyst. I'm going to make sure this guy likes me. Because at the end of the day, everybody on the team basically gets a vote. And essentially, you need more yeses than noes. And you need to have people pounding the desk saying, we need to hire her. So I made big, deep social inroads with a lot of people on the team, asked them about their hobbies. Like I was asking questions that I didn't even know what the question meant. I was like, oh yeah, like how was the green this weekend? Like I don't, I don't golf, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like, or like, how about that football game that I totally did not watch? But you know, I think people appreciated that I made an effort. I tried to be charismatic, funny. And I think that goes a long way because on Wall Street, one of the things that it is notorious for is that you are working pretty long hours. And a big part of that is liking the person you sit next to. Are you going to be able to sit next to that person for 12 hours and think that their jokes are funny and not be irritated by the little things they do? And being social was actually a big help. This is really great advice for anyone, regardless of what stage of their career they're in. If they're looking to secure themselves a full-time job going through an internship, or if they're within their first couple of weeks at a new organization, you're totally right. Building those relationships is an integral part of building a great career within that organization. It's an unfortunate thing, but like bias plays a huge role in the decisions that people make about who they work with. And as much as my company and my day job, we try to train people to work against their own bias. It's a very human thing, right? We've been doing since we were cave folks. I think there was a really interesting headline that recently came out that the smartest person is not the one who gets paid the most. 
there was actually a study where they tested people's IQs and the people who were getting paid the most had lower IQs than the people in the rung below them in terms of pay. The people who were getting paid the most were just the most socially adept. So yeah, your book smarts can take you very far, certainly. But if you're trying to really make yourself stand out, it is through these soft skills. So for folks that are listening in that are either navigating internships right now or they're applying for internships, what other advice would you have for them? I would say never, ever skip the interests line on your resume. I had a pretty impressive resume going into my internship hunting. I had that finance background. I'd taken the good classes. Fortunately, my C plus did not bring me down too far. I had like a, you know, three, seven GPA, three, eight GPA. So I was a good student. Not a single person asked me about my grades or my past internships. Every single interviewer asked me about my interests and the clubs and organizations I was a part of. So I got a lot of questions like, what made you decide to become a cheerleader in college? Everyone wanted to know that one. And I put that One of my interests was watching mob movies with my dad. And the question I would always get is like, which one's your favorite? And I'd be like, oh, Goodfellas. And it gave us a talking point. And for me, that was really important because these interviews can get very, very technical. And you're going to get to a point where you get asked a question you can't answer. But if you're able to turn a 30-minute interview into a 15-minute interview and 15 minutes of true conversation and communication and almost to get to know each other, you're not going to be asked tough technical questions. You're also going to get an opportunity to become memorable. Mm, yeah, what you're doing is you're, you're helping them simulate what it would be like to work with you, communicate with you, be around the water cooler, if that's still a thing. I haven't worked in an office in a long time. <laughs> okay, I want to reflect back to a few years ago. Like a lot of people, when the pandemic hit, you noticed all of the not so great financial advice on the internet. I see this and feel this from an HR perspective. I'm curious, before you launched your Rich BFF platform, did you have any reservations before you took it upon yourself to start providing cost-free financial literacy on TikTok? I did have reservations, not so much from like the information perspective, but a personal hesitation. I am what I like to describe as I used to be a lurker. So I would lurk and I would watch other people's content, but I wouldn't create content myself. and. I think someone on TikTok actually did a really great explanation that before you get to a point that is cool and people are envious and you get applauded for your efforts, you have to climb something called Cringe Mountain. As you're climbing Cringe Mountain, it's horrible because people at the bottom of the mountain are looking at you and pointing and being like, oh, that's so embarrassing. But now I've hit the peak of Cringe Mountain. My face is thousands of times over on the internet. But now I'm on the decline and I'm coming off of that peak and I'm getting to the valley that has the oasis and the palm trees, whatever may be at the end, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. People think, wow, that's incredible. That's so impressive. That's not what you were saying about me a year ago. And I think we all have to really push through that period of discomfort if we want to really achieve anything. Yeah, I was going to say like 100% period. I've gone through the cringy climb 100%. I feel like I'm still on it, to be honest. I haven't hit the peak. Well, maybe I have, but I know what you mean. I was talking about social justice and race and everything. So it was like a contentious cringy climb as well. And I mean, you're in the same boat talking about finances, 
financial literacy and, and money, right? It's such a taboo topic for a lot of folks, unfortunately. But fast forward a few years later, you're referring to you're in the Valley. Your rich BFF has blossomed into an amazing community of over 3 million besties all over the world. And this community is growing. Who is your rich BFF? Your rich BFF in terms of myself is just someone that I want you to be able to look at and think that girl could have been my best friend in college. She reminds me of my best friend in college because before being a former Wall Street trader, before having worked in tech and media, before being a content creator, the BFF part is the part that I really want people to emphasize because for so long, we have only seen rich, older men be the wealthy ones. They wear vests, they wear suits, they talk on those talking head shows we see on TV. And wealth for people who looked like us, you and me, Avery, that didn't really exist. And my girlfriends certainly didn't have anyone that they looked up to when it came to their finances. They did not know. They were just asking each other. And people were asking me, who is your rich BFF? It's someone just like you. I'm not special. I'm not unique. I want you to see me and see, hey, if she can do it, so can I. And I feel so lucky because my very first manager and my mentor on Wall Street, when I showed up day one, she took me under her wing. She was the only other Asian woman. And she said, I'm going to teach you all the stuff I did not know when I was a clueless 22-year-old. She's the reason why I started putting money into my 401k. She's the reason why I use cashback apps. She's the reason why I do all of these things because she taught me to. Have you had people reach out thanking you for things that you've taught them or advice you've given? That's probably the most rewarding piece of what I get to do. I get DMs all the time that are like, because of you, I started a Roth IRA. Because of you, I went and asked for a raise and I was terrified, but now I get $20,000 extra every single year. And that's truly life-changing money. And I think the honestly most terrifying, but like, really impactful message I've ever gotten was I made a video about missingmoney.com. Basically, it is a government unclaimed fund site. So if you move away or change your phone number and your landlord can't get a hold of you to give you your security deposit back or an insurance payout comes and you've moved and you don't claim it, any sort of unclaimed money, that actually gets filtered to the US government. And the government has essentially a database where you can find your own name and see if you have any missing money. A woman DM'd me and said, because of that video, I checked. And she said, my late partner passed away and I didn't know he had a life insurance policy, but I am getting a seven figure sum of money because of you. You have single-handedly changed my life. Oh my gosh. And I just started crying. I feel like I just got shivers up my spine. That is wild. My, my jaw dropped. That's huge. What was this called again? So people can check it out. Missingmoney.com. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. Is becoming a new manager really that hard? Is gossiping at work good for you? Is it okay to take meetings from a salon chair in the middle of the workday? These are the kinds of questions and hot topics we dive into every day on our hit newsletter, Girlboss Daily. What else can you expect? Dream job postings, A-plus career advice, and a few emojis, because we're fun like that, all delivered right to your inbox. Join 250,000 ambitious women and sign up at girlboss.com newsletter. That's girlboss.com newsletter.
You're listening to my conversation with Vivian Tu of Your Rich BFF. Next up, Vivian tells us why she left her high-paying job at BuzzFeed, which she loved, to go out on her own. Let's get back into it. Before we get too deep into the impact of the work that you're doing, which is phenomenal, I wanted to ask you, like, what actually made you decide to go all in on your Rich BFF? Because you had a mega six-figure salary in your last job, and you left it all behind, I believe, for like the greater good. But that must have been a big leap. Don't give me too much credit when you say greater good. This was a completely analytical, logical decision. So I started building Your Rich BFF while I was working full-time. I did that for a year and three months. And I was really, really fortunate. And I had worked very hard to get where I was in my career. And I was making over $600,000 working in digital media strategy sales at BuzzFeed. So a big part of that was commission. And I had been selling some really big deals. I was definitely one of their top salespeople at the time. And it was really scary to walk away from that because... It would have been so much easier if I like hated my boss and didn't like my team and was not fulfilled at work. But like, I love my boss. I love that guy. And I love my team. And they were my friends. And these are people that I would like text on the side, be like, yo, you want to like hang out on Saturday? Truly, I was so lucky in that perfect, amazing seat for me. But it got to the point where I was working full time during the week. And then I would ideate all my content on Saturday and film all my content on Sunday and just like change my shirt. So people wouldn't know that it was all filmed on one day. And I got to a point where I was like, I hate working at BuzzFeed. I hate making content for your rich BFF. And I sat down with my fiance and I told him this. And he was like, you didn't hate your job before you started making your rich BFF content on the side. You actually really liked your job. And when you first started making your rich BFF and there wasn't this expectation to keep putting out more content, you really liked it then too. Do you think... It's not that you don't like either of these things. It's maybe you don't like doing them at the same time and not taking a break for a year and three months. And I'm like, did he just become my therapist? And he was right. It wasn't something that I was going to be able to keep doing parallel path without burning myself out. So I ended up doing some analysis of what I was going to be able to make at Your Rich BFF. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is going to be able to cover my expenses And maybe I won't make as much as I did in my full-time job, but I'll make a good living doing this. I don't want to be 50 and look back on this moment and wonder what if. Let's try it. Worst case, I flame out in a year and I was a great employee. My boss really liked me. I was like, I could always like go back and like beg for my job back. And so I kind of made the decision. I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like I got to do this. Have you been able to make what you're earning in your last job? More than. (laughs) (laughs) mic drop (laughs) I'm really proud of that I think we are often told to like not brag about our finances or how proud we are of that kind of thing but like I worked my butt off this was scary and for me to sit here and say I am now just as financially successful doing this as the traditional path that I had carved for myself I'm very proud of that I'm sure there's brand deals and everything, but like what is contributing to your ability to match exactly what you're earning in your full-time job prior to starting your rich BFF? I have made a big effort to diversify my business. So certainly I make money from the platforms. I make money from brand partnerships, which are awesome. I really love brand partnerships because they allow me to keep this content for free. I cannot work and not get paid. 
No one expects an electrician or the plumber or someone who's working a corporate job to do their job for free. I can't make content full time for free. And this helps me keep it free. Also, I just launched a podcast, Network and Chill. Check it out, my friends. And I have a book coming out at the end of the year. I'm working on some TV show stuff. And that is a big contributor as to why I've been able to match and in fact, make more than my previous salary. That's incredible. That's so cool. I'm feeling really inspired right now. (laughs) My heart's beating like really fast. I'm sure the people (laughs) listening are feeling the same way. And I just want to let you know, if you're listening, you're not alone. I am very impressed and moved by this as well. I think that's so cool. So I know that I personally have learned a lot of stuff, information from your TikToks and from your YouTube specifically. And I know that you've already shared an amazing example of how it's created a massive change for folks. So on that note, What are three pieces of financial advice you think everyone needs to know? First and foremost, it's really important to know your worth. So we talk so much about scrimping and saving, and we're like, you are bad with money because you like lattes and avocado toast. But in reality, it's a lot easier to create an extra surplus of $5,000 by just asking for a $5,000 raise than it is to cut out every discretionary expense that brings you an ounce of joy. So first and foremost, I think it's really important for folks to understand their worth and know that they can ask for a raise every single year. Two, I would say when you're choosing a credit card, you want to do your research first. One thing I really look for in a card is one that's going to benefit me most based on my spending habits, as that's going to let me maximize my rewards. And my city double cash card is the perfect fit for my lifestyle. I'm working with city because I don't like to track my spending. I don't like to track categories. I just want to know that when I use my credit card, I am able to earn cash back on everything that I buy. And I think that's really important because responsible credit card usage is really, really helpful to your finances. And last but not least, I really just say like, talk to your friends about money. We have been tricked into thinking that Money is shameful and embarrassing and tacky and taboo, but think about all of those rich guys on the golf courses that are smoking a cigar and talking about their investment portfolio. It should not be embarrassing for regular people that look like you and me to talk to each other about what we make, what we're spending and how we're saving and budgeting and what we're doing with our money. It's not embarrassing when rich people do it, so there shouldn't have to be this double standard. A great way to bridge the gender and race pay gap is to share what we earn with others. For folks listening, and for a lot of folks that specifically work within corporations, is it illegal to talk about how much you earn with your colleagues? It is not. So the National Labor Relations Act of 1935 basically is a law that says it is not illegal for you to talk about pay with your coworkers and your boss cannot retaliate against you for doing so. They cannot surveil you. I guess it's the verb for surveillance. They can't stalk you for doing that. They can't yell at you and they can't demote you. Genuinely, it is 100% legal to talk about your income. And that's how you maintain fair pay. And I think a big step in being a good ally to women, to people of color, to marginalized groups like LGBTQ community, tell them what you're making. Because when you talk about how much you make, If they make less than you, you don't suddenly make what they make. You don't make less, but they now have the opportunity to make more. Exactly. Totally agree. And for folks that are listening in from Canada, from your friendly HR person here, it is perfectly legal to talk about compensation with your colleagues as well in Canada. 
So we talked about three pieces of advice that you feel like every single person should have access to as it relates to their finances. What's an example of really bad financial advice that you've seen online? Hmm. That you should make sure that all of your debt is completely paid off before you start investing. Because what people don't realize is that depending on your debt's interest rate, it may make more sense to start investing before that. I would say another really bad one is to cancel your credit card outright, your oldest credit card, because guess what? That shortens your credit history. That's bad. You can downgrade a card, you can upgrade a card, you can do whatever you want, but don't cancel your oldest line of credit. And a bad piece of financial advice is to like hold everything in your checking account because that checking account is paying you pennies every single year in interest. At least get it into a high yield savings account. But truly, if you want to grow your wealth, you're going to have to start investing. Yeah, definitely. And I want to ask you, so at Girlboss, we are obsessed with exploring all the ways in which women define success. So for you, what does it mean to be successful? In terms of success, this word has changed quite a bit for me. It used to be like, I want to pull up to my high school reunion in a Lambo. And now it's like, do I get to wake up every morning and choose my own adventure? And these days the answer is yes. So I think that based on your definition of success, you believe that you're successful today. Yeah, I do. That's great. Okay. So before we move into our in or out finance edition, for folks that are listening, what's some advice that you would give to people in terms of ways they could build their capital? The easiest thing to do is just to get paid more. And I know that sounds like so obvious and everybody hates when I say that, but one of the best ways and simplest ways you can do this is actually creating a folder in your inbox. And you can name it like brag book, raise receipts, promo pitch, whatever you want to name it, and then the year. And then anytime something really good happens to you, you forward it to that email or you forward it to that folder. When mid-year reviews come around, end-of-year reviews come around, you literally have this binder of all of the reasons why you are amazing, why you are deserving of more pay, why you are deserving of a promotion. And being able to effectively, not just ask, but effectively negotiate a raise every single year is going to be the fastest way for you to make more money. Listen, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with picking up a side hustle. Literally, this whole thing started as a side hustle for me. I know if people are really, really feeling crunched for time, that can feel kind of overwhelming, but I actually recommend it as something to do that's very different than what you do for your day job. I love that. Thank you. I know that folks listening are probably being overwhelmed with all of the information that you've shared. So as a way to kind of round that out, I want to do a very quick in or out with you. The first one is saving three months of your living expenses. Big in. Paying off credit card debt over putting money into savings. In. Saving for retirement. Big in. Ironically, side gigs. In. Okay, so this is going to be a bit of a spicy one. Buying a home or property. Oof. For this one, I would say I want to be a line straddler, but I know that's like not a thing. I would have to say out. And let me give the justification because I think we talk about buying a home as kind of like the end all be all that everyone should be doing. And that's just not true. In many cases, renting is a better option. Perhaps you only want to be in an area for a couple of years. Maybe if it's going to be less than five years, it certainly is not going to cover the closing costs. And 
knowing that it is so dependent, it's hard for me to say in on something that's going to be the biggest purchase of your life. Rolling over your 401k. Big in. You never, ever want to leave your old 401k at your old employer. You will likely forget about it. And there's actually $1.7 trillion worth of forgotten 401k money just floating around. And my next and last in or out is talking about what you earn. 100% in, always has been in, will continue to be in. We're doubling down on that, everyone. Yeah. Tell everyone what you earn. Share that information. Definitely. So thank you so much, Vivian, for having this conversation with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for staying until the end of this inspiring conversation with our Rich BFF. Vivian is proof that if you stick with your side gig, amazing things can happen. I've loved seeing your positive reviews on this season so far. Keep them coming and tune in next week for another episode. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.